mess with your mind or something They tryna play with your grind or something They wanna see you back off of your calling Yeah, they tryna mess with your sign or something For lack of a vision, them people could perish Commit to the climb, even when it hurts Only two things in life you could control Is how you spend time and how hard you work So hard work, God first, yeah Hard work, God first, yeah Hard work, God first, yeah To the day I'm in the dirt, yeah Jesus Christ is Lord, yeah I know who I serve, yeah When my life was hard, yeah my prayers were heard, yeah. So hard work got first, yeah. Hard work got first, yeah. Hard work got first, yeah. Today I'm in the dirt, yeah. Jesus Christ is Lord, yeah. I know who I serve, yeah. When my life was hard, yeah. Oh, even then my prayers were heard, yeah. She said, Z, you work too much since I was a kid. I knew I was the Welcome to the Truth of Faith Podcast. I'm your host, Cliff Steven. If you don't know me, I'm a dad. I'm a Christian. I was born and raised in South Boston, Massachusetts in the Old Colony Projects. Um, we got a great guest tonight. Um, we got a great guest tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to have on Paul Stubbs. He has a theory that modern clowns um, basically got their look from the fallen angels. Um, if you're new to the show, please hit the follow button, comment, like, and share. It helps the program get out there. And I just want to thank Daddy Rue. He, you know, he comments every week, and I really appreciate you, brother. So thank you. So tonight's guest, we have a great guest. You know, I'm so excited to have him on. He's an author, researcher. He wrote uh, two books, Voices in the Wilderness and the Quantum Bigfoot. He also released the Sierra Sounds, Ron Moorhead. Welcome, Ron. Thank you, uh, Cliff. I appreciate you asking me to be on. Yeah, should be fun. No, <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm so excited because um, I, I was so into Bigfoot as a kid. I always believed, and then I made some bad decisions in life, and life got a little rocky. But by the time I came back. Um, I found these things. Someone was like, have you heard of the Sierra sounds? I'm like, no. And I looked it up and my mind was blown. So 
I'm honored to have you yeah. here and I'm excited. Well, thank you. Honored to be with you too. Yeah. Thank you. So the first question is, how, how did you first end up in the Sierra Mountains? Well, I lived in the foothills. Actually, I lived in San Joaquin Valley of uh, California. And uh, Sierra Nevada Mountains are kind of border Nevada and California. So uh, really, that, that's how I... So, okay. so you you were going so you were going there before, um, but yeah. like before you when you got to the spot where you recorded the Sierra Sounds, you you were hiking all that area and uh, someone me, invited you to go hunting or. Let me start it from the beginning. Can you hear me? Okay. okay? Yeah, you yeah, great. Yeah, okay. yeah, there was a group of hunters that hunted this area in the Sierras, and that was a uh, about eight miles into the wilderness. Really remote area, 8,400 feet in elevation, so you couldn't access it in the wintertime at all. But they'd go up there during summer and hunting season, kind of like a sanctuary for them, these Johnson brothers. They'd been going there since 1958. And uh, they came out with a story about some kind of monster up there. They heard it, and these are avid hunters. I mean, they're really woodsmen. And uh, the other guys, there was uh, five of them all together, so the other three guys, uh, they all five went up there, and... Uh, just to see what was going on, and they uh, ended, ended up countering this uh, Bigfoot, I guess you want to call it, just some kind of monster they didn't know. Nobody was looking for Bigfoot, I guarantee you that. There was a hunting camp, and that was tagged out when they was up there. So Anyway, they uh, one guy, he heard him the first night, and he just freaked out. He shook, and he he, uh, he took off next morning, left a little note, came back down to the valley and uh, told the... Uh, wives you know the, what the johnson brothers were saying up there is some kind of monster up there and uh they all was worried then because they didn't know what the guys were dealing with and they were day late coming out they weren't coming out when they were supposed to so they said you got to go back and see if they're okay and uh he wouldn't go without someone going with him and i was a friend of the family so he asked me to go with him and that's how i got involved i got up there and uh, they were i saw the first big track and and uh, anyway, it's, that's how I got. I started going back as often as I could when someone would go with me. And I got part of the group. I started hunting. I went to hunt up till then. And I don't hunt anymore, but I used to hunt back then. That's been, I was 29 years old when it started with me, 1971. So, <laughs> I, so, so yeah. you're up there, right, Ron? I, uh, They're telling you there's a monster. And you're probably like, you know, I don't know what you were thinking, but as you start like seeing the tracks, hearing the sounds like you know what was running through your mind well first of all i knew their integrity all really high you know, good integrity church goers i just uh in fact i knew a couple of them very very well we went to church together and uh, i didn't know, you know what it was nobody knew what it was but i just know we all carried high power guns so really we had thought we had security with those guns and uh, we had a little shelter up there. The Johnson brothers had put it up years ago, and it was a like a group of trees that grew in a circle, and they wrapped cable around it, and then laid deadfall up against that, and then did the same thing across the top, and the deadfall up there, put plastic over that, then shrubs over that. So it looked like a big beaver's nest. The door was just two trees that uh, kind of went at an angle like that, and put a log between them for the doorway, and they strapped that closed at night. These things would come around at night, and uh, yeah, it was a little a little frightening, the sounds they were making to start with, but you, you just, uh, you've got nowhere to go. You, know, <laughs> you can't get out of there. And uh, well, just, you don't, well, you don't want to leave the 
you don't want to leave that maybe protective shelter. You don't know if it's protective or not. But they didn't come in after us like the sounds would would uh, suggest. They were really aggressive to start with, and uh, so we just uh, sit there waiting to shoot at them if they came through and uh, or shoot them. And uh, that didn't happen. And uh, so they kept coming back, and we kept not shooting because uh, we didn't feel threatened anymore. Because they started just kind of uh, like a bark bigger than their bites. You know, they didn't they didn't really try to hurt us. So uh, we started leaving food out for them, things like that, and and we started recording them. Uh, we started that right off the bat with cassette recorders, and we took a 1972 uh, Alan Berry, a reporter from Northern California, came down to interview us via Ivan Sanderson cryptozoologist who sent a letter to Peter Byrne who said these guys are probably hoaxing somebody but you might want to see what's all about. Well Peter was in Oregon and this was in California so that's when he contacted Alan Berry and Alan at that time was working for a newspaper as an investigative reporter and he um, he actually had a master's degree in science so he came down and uh, he uh, quizzed us all and just talked to us all and separately and together and, and we ended up inviting him up there uh, he wanted to go in, and so he went in uh, 1972, looking for a hoax, which we didn't know that's what he was doing at the time, but he was, and uh, he couldn't find one. He couldn't figure out how anybody could be doing this stuff so elusively and not leaving anything with their, their tracks, and uh, they're very quick, very stealthy, and we underestimated what we're dealing with you know, up there at the time, just didn't know. Unidentified, but ape or some kind, because it it was uh, apish sounding, <laughs> really, yeah. uh, really aggressive. And anyway, he's the one, Alan Berry, who had the science degree. He ended up having the sounds uh, studied at the University of Wyoming by Dr. Curlin. Dr. Curlin did a year-long study just to see if they were real or not, and they were. He showed, he showed through, he's a professor of electrical engineering, by the way, very high-grade professor. And he uh, finally, he's one of the only uh, academia that took it seriously. I went to other guys, other people too, who would just laugh at him, but uh, thought he was trying to trick him or something. But uh, Dr. Curlin took it serious, and he said, I'll give you a report. He did. So he put a whole year long on it. I had a student do a thesis on it, actually, too, at the same time. And uh, he found that the sounds were not uh, manipulated. They were not played back. They were not speeded up. They were not, uh, uh, there was no 60-cycle hum. They were outside the human range and inside the human range and below the human range. So they have a very expansive vocal mechanism. He said that one of the sounds that he uh, checked there represented, compared to the human vocal mechanism, it represented an animal eight foot tall. So that's about what we're suggesting with the tracks we've seen around camp. So uh, anyway, uh, that kind of got it off. He gave his report to the academia uh, uh, in uh, British Columbia in 1978, wrote a paper on it, and it's in a book, Man Like Monsters on Trial. He showed his graph where the sounds were and the studies he did on it, and and gave him a thumbs up. He said, these are real. There's no 60 cycle hum. It's all genuine. They were not speeded up, slowed down, nothing like that. So that was a big boost, but all the academia that was there just couldn't swallow that. You know, if they don't, don't, don't give them facts if it's going to mess with their thoughts. <laughs> they, it, they, they, it's they don't really be, a shame that yeah, they, they won't look at it, that they, 
they have these blinders on that the world tells them, okay, you can't believe this, and they just go right. with it. And it, it it's truly heartbreaking because, like you said, these were credible guys. You're a credible guy. Why why would credible grown men but, make up a, a story? It just it isn't that way. That. Well, what they got is their their disciplines. You know, they've been trained in a discipline and put in a box, and they can't yeah. get out of that with their discipline. And that's what they've been. That's what they're still paying their student loan off with. Probably is you know that education that keeps them there and keeps them. They go out of it and, and get into something like Bigfoot, Sasquatch. It's it's a uh, it's really a ding on their. Uh, uh, academia colleagues, I just say, and ding on their yeah. credibility. And there's been a couple of professors that take that hit. Dr. Grover Kranz was one of them, and uh, he he's passed away now. But there's still some professors in it now, and it's not like it was in the 70s when this first came out in the 80s. Uh, it's it's a lot better now because so more and more people are seeing these things, and more and more people are reporting the enigmas associated with them, and like we were having up there, and that's what I related to. And so I. I've been kind of rousing around this thing for over 50 years, and it's been uh, it's quite a exciting thing to do because it leads you into something else. Ron, let me ask you, like, because I could only imagine, like, as I watch the shows and, like, people can go watch you on, like, David Pilate's thing and they could see the place. Like, when you were up there, you know, and you've seen one for the first time, like, how, how did it affect your life to see something that allegedly doesn't exist, but you're seeing it and hearing it? Like, how did you look at the world after that? Well, it got me here talking to you today. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be yeah. doing this if, if that if it hadn't taken place. But I had no idea at the time just how significant this would turn out to be. Uh, what really makes it significant is I think I've established uh, pretty much very well that these things have a human component to them. And uh, that's been suggested by a lot of people, but I think I've established it through scientific records. And you got Dr. Curlin, who did the study, said it represented something eight foot tall. Then we had a cryptolinguist from the Navy, trained by the Navy as a uh, listen, just a listen all the time to codes or languages, unknown languages, see if you could transcribe it as a language or just listen to it. Uh, fun making it might have been in the language or codes or anything. Anyway, he got a hold of them in 2008, and he said these things have a language by the human definition, which means a morphine stream of words, which make a sapient sentence like I'm talking now. And uh, that was a big deal, I thought. But then it's still hard to get academia, or at least these scientists that, that are told about it, to to get out of their box and to understand that these things are out there and what that could represent, because then you got in Brown University, Dr. Philip Lieberman, who passed away last year, I think it was, and he, uh, he was a cognitive researcher, and he said only humans, only humans, only humans have the vocal mechanism, hyoid bone, tongue, nervous system into the brain, to make sapient language like we're doing. These things have that. So you put those three things together, they got language, it's over eight foot tall, and you got a uh, only humans can do it. They have to have something we have in their vocal mechanism. However, their tones they can reach and the depths they can reach is way beyond what we can do. And that's been established by a couple other people too. Uh, we just can't do what they can do. Some people say they can, but you can't, you can't do it. And, uh, 
So anyway, it's it's quite a journey. And how did it affect me? It's just taken over. Well, it didn't take over my life. I still live and still do things. But I, I have been around the world now pretty much. I've been in South America a couple of times. I've studied the elongated skulls and the animatic things that are down there. And I spoke at the Darwin Museum in Russia. I've been into Siberia. I've been uh, uh, Nepal. I've been to a lot of places just uh, looking around and see what other things, other people are reporting that are similar to what we were encountering. And uh, what really got me into Alberry being, I mean, back up to say, Alberry being the scientist that he was, a really intelligent guy. He was an officer in Vietnam too, and he saw action there. But he, he said, whatever you do, stay with science. When you talk to people, don't talk about some of this crazy stuff's going on up here because there was some crazy stuff going on up there. And we didn't know where to put it. So you just kind of put it up on the shelf because it doesn't make sense in our classical world with three dimensions. And we live in a three-dimensional environment. And that's pretty much established. And everybody knows that. But there's more dimensions out there. So when he said for me to stay with science, I started trying to figure out what, science could possibly answer the enigmas going on with these things i mean you see lights you see things that you can't put your finger on you hear things that you can't establish the source of it not just the bigfoot's talking but just one time we thought our camp was being tore apart i use this as an example because everything was that we hauled up there with our mules and horses to these barrels and strapped into the trees with cables and we keep our food so the bears wouldn't get it you know and and when we came back the next time, you didn't have to take all that stuff in. You'd have it there. And that made it nice and convenient when you wanted to walk in, which was a pretty good trek getting in there walking. But it's uh, it's good when you walk in because then you, you everything's quiet at night and uh, it's a horse aren't pounding or nothing like that. So anyway, we thought everything was being tore up out there. And we looked out through the shelter and uh, nothing had changed after it was over with. And where do you go with that? You can't explain it. You know, it just, uh, unless they hypnotize all of us at the same time and, uh, or we didn't know, we just didn't know what to do with that stuff. But that's a lot of strange things. The orbs, the lights, uh, follow us around up there and, uh, different things. These things have a very, uh, high, uh, uh, very good intuitiveness. And where it's taken me is into quantum physics because that is the science that I think can answer a lot of the anomalies that were associated with what we were seeing. And a lot of people that I've interviewed over the years now has told me about issues that happened to them, things that happened to them that that cannot be explained by classical science, which is Newtonian physics, which we're all raised by. You know, it's a, everything is based on everything being real and being uh, measurable and predictable and that's not the way it is in the real world. I mean, the real in our classical world, that's the way it is. But then there's more going on we don't see. There's more Absolutely. dimensions. There's uh, there's just things we don't. Uh, I'm getting pulled out here. <laughs> things we don't understand. And the reason we don't yeah. understand is because we haven't looked into them. But uh, yeah, because I've seen a few documentaries. Um... You probably were in one of them, but, um, you know, this guy, he was explaining how, you know, he would, you know, they would leave Scrabble pieces out and they would leave messages, but they would be recording and, you know, and they believed that, you know, they were coming in somehow, but they didn't, there was no footprints. And is so that's how, that's the all, the quantum physics part of it. Like they're interdimensional beings, basically. 
Well, some of them might be. I don't think they're all the same, though. If I don't, okay. uh, and I, I, I just don't. I've been around the world. I've, I've had, I've uh, encountered them as much as anybody that I know of, and I've got all this data behind me, and I've been studying it, looking into it. You got to look into things. Just keep looking. You can't just let yourself be conditioned in a box like we all were, and not get out of that box and see what's really going on. I mean, we only see within everything is energy, frequency, and vibration. That's quantum physics, everything is energy. We are at the most minute level of our being, energy, vibrating at a frequency. Even Einstein said, you find the frequency of anything, you can change its matter. Well, that's pretty neat. <laughs> you know, how do you find the frequency, though? So, um, everything, energy, frequency, and, and uh, vibration. And if these things can uh, create a frequency, let me practice a little bit more. <laughs> Matter and energy are interchangeable. You don't see energy, you see matter. And that's established by CERN in 2012 when a hydrogen collider over in Switzerland shot a piece of matter and it turned into energy. Well, that was established mathematically by Einstein and some other guys prior uh, years ago. 1933, Paul Dirac, a physicist, won the Nobel Prize for antimatter and that's the direct exchange between matter and energy however that was finally affirmed by cern so there's a lot of things going on when i say everything's energy frequency but we only see within certain frequencies when the smell within certain frequencies everything is a frequency so if if our, our frequency is only 420 to 770 terahertz that's a light's frequency well there's all these other frequencies going on and uh out there and if you don't understand that you you think you know everything about what you see but no there's things you don't see that's existing now, some people can see energy some animals can see some energy you know they'll a cat will see more than what we can see with our eyes and yeah. so if i if people can understand that that even a, a bear's olfactory sense is 20 times better than ours you know the smelling apparatus a dog is seven times better than ours we just don't know everything there is to know everything we think we're at the top of this chain but you know we're, we're just arrogant about that we we think we're we got it all going well we don't there's so much more so much more this gets me into uh, what tesla said well one man calls god another one calls the laws of physics so in my mind the laws of physics quantum physics is synonymous with spirituality and being raised religiously, I'm not religious now, but I'm very much a Christian. I'm very much a spiritual person, like we all are. Whether you like it or not, you're a spiritual person, you know. And yeah. uh, your embodiment has your this, this thing that we're carrying around here is it has two parts to it. It has the ethereal part, and it's got the embodiment part, the physical part. Physical part's going to die, but the spiritual part, the, the that's what goes on. It can't die. That's the energy that cannot die according to quantum physics. So if energy can't die, uh, it's got to go somewhere. So there, Einstein wouldn't even guess where it goes, but I personally think I got an idea. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm eating up all yeah, your time. Yeah, because I know, I know like the skunk apes, they're more smaller, but then the Bigfoots in like Washington and Alaska, they're a lot bigger. So... You know, they definitely probably uh, a different ones. But you you think so you think there might be totally you think some of them might have the powers and some of them might not? What I think is I think they were here before Homo sapiens. 
I think they've been here for eons because I believe in aliens have been coming to this planet for a long, 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 long time. And, and they have manipulated the genome of species on this planet. And I think they, they uh, created some of them and they have just kept coming on and, and with time just keep evolving into what we are. Not what we are, but what they are. However, they have also, uh, according to a lot of native lore legends, uh, they have crossbred with the indigenous people, which means they would have to have 23 pair of chromosomes, which makes them what they would have. If they're part human, they could. So that would make some of them diluted down more human-like. So they may have recessed their abilities if they had them to start with. Uh, what we were dealing with up there, I don't know, but whatever they were, they had some abilities that we today are still trying to understand. But I think the laws of quantum physics would uh, would account for a lot of the things that people call paranormal, the woo, all that stuff. And it gets into, uh, yeah, uh, some strange stuff when you look back into it. Because I went into scriptures. That's where I first went into because I was uh, uh, this huge church. I was part of it. And, so I started looking in the Bible, you know, where there's all kinds of information, the biblical text about giants. And, and yet you go back into, into the first part of Genesis where it talks about, you know, giants and bays and da da da, and Anunnaki. However, they didn't talk about the Anunnaki in the Bible, but you get into the <laughs> cuneiform text, which goes right over yeah. to Mesopotamia. And, and once you get into that, you realize, wow, that kind of mimics and shadows a lot of things that's been read to us and taught to us. and religions so uh i got into all that and i, I really think the uh, anunnaki's got something to do with a lot of manipulation that's gone on on this planet and uh they they're what, the what about esau have you have you because when i read um when i read i think it was in genesis and they talk about esau to me i mean that kind of felt a little bigfooty where they were saying it was two different types of people and esau was big and giant and hairy and he lived in the woods and he was uh -huh. a great hunter and he i mean i don't know i could be over imagining but to me i don't know it, it kind of smelled a little bigfoot to me well yeah in fact i, I got into that in my first maybe my second book about the esau and uh anyway hey how uh, how one of them could be in twins and one of ever 400 twins could be could be made by a different male <laughs> And that's that's pretty much established. So, if aliens can manipulate DNA and can manipulate things, and I I know some of them, pretty sure they can, if they're high enough, if they're light beings like the Anunnaki, where they can manipulate uh, her womb, and the twins could be different from different uh, new new. Let's see, you got the mitochondrial DNA, which is the mother. Then you got the nuclear DNA, which is the father. Two different things could have uh, pro, uh, made the father part, which would have been, uh, well, the husband, number one, and number two would have been a, a another entity like an Anunnaki or something. And even Christ, you know, something brought uh, Mary's womb to fruition, right? Uh, we're hybrids, really want to get into it. We're made by something. And uh, I don't disbelieve in evolution, but I, I think there's a whole lot of things missing in that. So anyway, you get into the Anunnaki. They are the uh, the powerful ones from the sky, shiny ones. They call them. If Satan was called a shiny one, uh, they and it falls right into 
the uh, Nephilim in the Bible, you know, when the Nephilim were giants and, and you found that the fallen ones, the angels were fallen ones, which were aliens, they went against the rule, don't interfere, and started interfering and started messing around and become mortal and started breeding with human women to create the Nephilim. And it just goes really fun and deep if you really get into it. But I encourage anybody who wants to study this stuff, look into it because it's it really gets exciting. You can do so much go because you feel like you're living in a time when a lot of things are trying to happen right now. And uh, absolutely. And I'm I'm glad I'm still upright. <laughs> <laughs> See, I I believe I I kind of agree with you on some things. I I think that the fallen angels. You know, like you said, they were the fallen angels. I believe it, the fallen angels of the Bible. I don't really, I think aliens, that's what they are. They're fallen angels and demonic beings. Because um, to go way out there, I believe the earth's flat. I just do. I think space is a lie. But so when you say aliens, do you mean like from out of space or interdimensional beings? Interdimensional beings interdimensional beings and they can be wherever they want to be in this universe but they're they've been here and they yeah. came down from where they were their first estate and they fell you know the bad ones did to 300 of 300 is what the cuneiform text says and uh that's what uh the book of uh enoch writes about you know, which was not canonized because just about every government every king every ruler ever they all control the narrative that's going to be out amongst the people and that yeah. goes on even today. You know, we're controlled. It's the narrative is controlled out there. And uh, so it's, it's, it all started even with uh, uh, Constantine in 326, I think it was, when he got the Nicene Creed. He got in Nicaea, he had these, uh, he accepted four gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's all that people could have to study. Yet all this other stuff was there. But if it didn't fall into what he wanted, he didn't allow it. You know, he was in charge of all that. Uh, I'm just saying that that's how it goes all the way through history. Whoever wins yeah. is going to control it. Uh, yeah, the uh, the Anunnaki is a big deal because it represents the Mesopotamian, the Sumerian uh, literature. All it represents the first known written language in existence on this planet, and uh, all it's about all languages have their core from that. So if you see and look into that and see. Now they've got a lot of it translated. Uh, I say translated because it started in uh, well, 18th something, but uh, there's like 30,000 tablets been found. So Marx dried them out, and that's that's the language that's written. And it gives you the history of, of what really went on and how it went on. You, you hear about the different call or call them different names there that but it's like God was called God in those tablets. He was called Elohim. And Elohim is uh, mentioned twenty five hundred times in these tablets, which again they haven't trans translated all of them yet. There's like thirty thousand of them now they found. Twenty five hundred times it's all in the plural when when or Elohim is mentioned, but how through the ages it's been translated for the convenience of the reader, I guess, into a lot of singers so they you see one God when they say, well, God did this, but then you find God, uh, he wiped out a whole, <laughs> a lot of bad things happen from the command of God, but then a lot of good things happen too. So there are two sides of this thing. There's two stories going on. There's good Anunnaki, there's bad ones. They are the ninth dimensional beings, which we're designed to be like. And they said, let us make man in our image. 
And that's what we are. And I think people need to realize who they are as a human being made the image of a very high frequential beings uh, to be light beings. And if, you, if we're all headed for the fifth and sixth dimension, when you leave this third dimensional embodiment, you got to go through the, the time period, the fourth dimension. But I think a lot of the Bigfoots go into the fifth and sixth, but they're all also seen as cloaking in the uh, fourth dimension. Well, uh, it, it's funny because, you know, like what you just said, I think there is some truth in it. Um, what I believe, um, you know, because even with Bigfoot, right, there's two camps. He's an ape. And they, they don't want to hear the woo-woo or people are woo-woo. And I really think, you know, that's how people look at our reality as a whole. You know, people, we live these boring lives. We go to work, go home, and they don't think anything great is of the world or there's, there's no beauty or supernatural things. And then there's uh -huh. other people who, who see, you know, could imagine anything. And it it just blows my mind. I was always a woo-woo guy. Um you know, just hearing the stories of how Bigfoot would, you know, cloak or disappear in the track stop. I was always in the woo-woo camp, you know? Well, there's a science behind how that happens, you know. If matter and energy can, can interchange, uh, by the way, I was too. We all apers at one time. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's got to be an ape out there. Nothing can be. But, uh, uh, however, uh, uh, what was I going to say? The uh, the woo factor is is and the paranormal factor is answerable by a lot of the laws in quantum physics because it's not like you can choose a, the choose something here. I mean, it's it's a fact or it isn't a fact. The cuneiform texts are facts, and they say what they say, and you can either believe it or not. But that's how it happened prior to uh, in Mesopotamia prior to records being kept, and and it's just. Uh, how it happens now is people seem to want to live in a little 100 year bubble or something they don't realize the bigger picture like you're talking about out there and so there's there's a lot of things going on that that we need to realize are happening right now there's things happening right around us right now that you can't see because of our limited uh, parameters of the frequency and uh, so the, the quantum physics right like you know, you could look and see all these places where these these giant boulders and they almost look like they're molded together. Does that maybe have something to do with quantum physics? Like they knew the vibration of the stone, so they were able to either move it or like combine them. Do you have any? Well, yeah, I've been I've, I've been there. I've seen them. I've, I've looked at them. I've, yeah. It's a couple they're, times. they're mind blowing, right? Yeah. You don't know how they did it. Those. This is all over the world too. It's not just down in South America. But yeah. uh, I, I don't know. Nobody knows how they did it because we can't do it today. There's no mortar. Yeah. You know, those stones are over a hundred tons. A lot of them they're carried for miles and miles up on this thirteen thousand foot mountain and uh, put together like a jigsaw puzzle. I mean, just and it's all over Peru. I mean, it's not just there. Uh, a lot of streets in Cusco have that, that kind of stonework in them. And I've been to villages in South America where you see a church, it's got those stones on the outside, you know, all put together like that. You go inside and those walls are five foot thick and they still have the same puzzle wow. to them. You know, how, how they do that, how they, how they cut them, how they, we don't know. It's mind blowing. It's just, a, I think if we know, if you know the frequency of anything, you can change its matter. I keep saying that because that's, that's a, mathematical facts i say mathematical because it's been established mathematically 
And if you can't disestablish it mathematically, I'll prove it's wrong mathematically, it's going to be accepted by physicists. Mass, math, excuse me, mass and energy are interchangeable. And if these beings called Bigfoot, Sasquatch, they're not all the same again, if they have the ability to reach the frequency through their advanced vocal mechanism, which they have an advanced, very advanced vocal mechanism, to reach a frequency that would change their mass into energy, that would mean they could dissipate, go out of our frequency, out of our visibility. And that's what people see when they see them cloaking. And I know some people very well that have saw that, and, and uh, I've never saw it. I wondered why when we were up there in the camp in the 71 through 76, when all this close-up stuff was going on, why we couldn't see them more often. You know, we just got glimpses of them here and there. And rarely did we get a glimpse of them, but we did. And uh, that was uh, good because most of the time they wouldn't start making their sounds so we were inside the shelter that we had. But the 1974, the first time, first time since 71 when I started going up there that I got to get a glimpse of one. And so did my friend Bill, a different one, but same night. And uh, that's when they started interacting with us when we were outside the shelter. And I just started yelling back at them, trying to mimic them. And I got yeah, you, you sound so calm. Like when I listen to it, I, I, I I'm imagining myself there, and I, I start getting nervous. But you, you sound so playful. Like he's making the noise, and then you do try to like mimic him, and you yeah. just sounded so calm. Well, we realized they weren't going to eat us, and that seemed like a friendly thing they were going through that night. You know that they were actually exposing them, sort of trying to make something happen. And you can hear through the tapes I got that. Uh, that they were trying to ask me a question and I didn't know what they were saying. I wasn't too thick headed to probably try to do a mind melt or something in Star Trek. <laughs> no, but they, they have the ability to uh, entangle you, you know, quantum entangle you. And that's when they get on your frequency and, and just got, got to know how to listen. We didn't know then. I didn't know then. We still thought we were dealing with something just pretty strange, but pretty unique. And the uh, biggest thing you could have that's going to go against you is fear. So when you're when you're up there or when you're anywhere like that and things start happening that you think might be related to a, one of these creatures, they eat on or they feed on your fear. So if it's a negative one, you got to watch out because if you're feeding that, it's just going to get more and more closer to you. We found out in this 1974 that when I saw one, if you just leave things alone, don't do anything different, just keep doing what you're doing, they'll keep coming in and getting closer. Because I want to see if they can scare you. And sometimes they, they used to, but they didn't scare us anymore. And there's been times when, uh, you know, you'd think you'd be scared out of your wits, but they're yelling or doing their chatter right outside the shelter there. And you, you think, well, let's jump out the doorway. We'll see one run off, bright moon at night, you know. So Warren Johnson and I, we thought we were going to do that. So we go through the shelter door right quick. There's one right by this tree. We knew that it had to be right there because it was just too loud to be anywhere else. And, We'll see it run away. Well, we didn't see it run away. We started walking up towards that tree, probably 10 feet apart. And and uh, all of a sudden, we just got stopped like a like a force field, I relate to it in, in my book. And I mean, you couldn't go forward. I don't know how to explain the feeling other than you just couldn't go forward. And you go backwards, and Warren looked at me, and I know you, I can't go any further. And we knew it had to be behind this tree, just a few feet in front of us, you know. And, uh, and we just backed away, went back in the shelter and started mouthing off again, you know. And, and I think I, I brought that up to a scientist friend of mine who's passed away now, Leroy Fish. And he said, uh, science don't want to hear about your fears. 
And I said, you know, Leroy was not afraid. It was not a fearful thing. We, we didn't, we knew had, by then they weren't going to eat us. They hadn't thrown rocks at us. They, everything was good. Uh, so we was trying to just find out more and do more and, and see what it's all about. And he said, well, it might have been infrasound or pheromones, one or the other, because pheromones only work within the same species. So it must have been infrasound, which does affect affect people. You know, you don't hear it, but it affects you. That's what big animals use, like elephants and giraffes and big tigers were using infrasound to to stun their prey or to find a mate. You know, they, they work through that, but you don't hear it. Uh, so anyway, I went with infrasound, and I still do even though I, I feel like now they are part human. Uh, it could have been infrasound or pheromones, but... Because some people, when they experience this infrasound, they, they get a sick feeling, correct? Where they almost yeah, feel yeah. like they're going to pass out and their stomach yes. gets upset. Yeah. That did not happen to us. I did not get that way. But I can eat anything and not get sick, too. <laughs> I'm just one of those guys. Uh, yeah. But uh, No, we didn't get sick. And uh, I think they can make you get sick. I mean, I think they can make that happen to you. Because they can put out some things to you that, uh, that through your vibration, and I don't know how they do it, but they obviously do it through vocal mechanism. But uh, I think they can do a lot more than most people want to give them credit for, especially these researchers that are out there wood beating on trees and screaming. Uh, you know, they they got it. Looking for an ape in the woods, they're not going to find it. Unless it's an accident, like Roger Patterson and Bob Gimmon did that time in Bluff Creek, uh, which I think that was a female that had been diluted down. You know, she had been crossbred because uh, her trackway looked so much more human, a lot, a lot of archway. And that's what a lot of the researchers judge tracks why is well, if it was a big it would look like this. Well, no, I mean, tracks look different all over the world, and our camp tracks look different too. They were big, they were. Uh, splayed, just very splayed, very little arch in them, five toes right like that, and we saw several different size tracks at different times and trackways that we followed. And uh, anyway, yeah, they can disappear on you. And how they do that? How the trackways stop? I got that in my new book. By the way, you said I had two books. I'm going right. I'm, I'm to release my third book this uh, next month on the 15th, and it's this right here. It'll be on my website, ronmoorhead.com, and it'll it'll have some more stuff in it, like uh, the quantum bigfoot. Try to keep it on layman's terms, because I'm not a physicist, but I am a citizen scientist, I started calling myself, because I've looked into this stuff so much. I do know, I think, a little bit more than most people, because I've been doing it more than most people. And that's the only reason. I'm not an expert. I don't think anybody is an expert. Uh, but and if you really look at the definition of an expert, it's just someone who knows more than the average person but I, i've gotten into the esoteric stuff uh, that really is uh got me going and i think that's the whole reason i ran into bigfoot so i could delve into this later on and become what i'm doing today talk to on podcasts like this from credit with you and and get the word out which i think is so important and that is how special we are as human beings made in the image of light beings and we're we're designed to be that we don't take on AI, alien body embodiment, because they will be someday able to transfer your consciousness into an AI body, and you will never get to be a nice natural being if you don't if you do that. But however, you will live a thousand years, so without any aches or pains. So a lot of people might take that, 
I got a odd chapter on uh, AI in my book, new book too. <laughs> Different things. So you, people, yeah. You but so you you believe you believe G you believe Jesus you believe in Jesus, but you don't you don't believe it the way the Bible says. Or what? Could you explain it to me? Because I, I know yeah. you said you're a Christian. You, uh -huh. So what is your beliefs in Jesus? Well, he was a master. You know, he was a. Uh, we're all sons of God. You know now. He brought back, he was called the second Adam. He brought back what the first Adam lost. And the first Adam was made in the image of the light being, you know, the image of God. So we are now able to reach where we're supposed to be able to reach so if we can believe that Christ was who he was. And I do. Uh, he was, a, yeah, a master. Uh, he, I think he'd been here before, uh, maybe Melchizedek in the Old Testament or something. But uh, I think he's been on this earth before, and uh, he was—he uh, just got his vibration right. That's what we're all here for—to get our vibration right, to get it so it will vibrate into the uh, into the next dimension. <laughs> well, uh, I, 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 I think Christians should have be able to have conversations. Like, even if we don't agree on everything, there's no reason to be like you know, damning people to hell or like, oh, no. we could just be two brothers who have different, a little different views, still love sure. one another and just have a great conversation. I love talking about this stuff. You um, said the right thing. It's the right thing because everything about this experience on this embodiment, this life is about love and compassion. If we don't learn how to do that, we're never going to raise our own personal vibrational frequency to get into where we need to be when we, when this embodiment passes on dies because it will die but our essence who we really are is not going to die and that's that's biblical too you know it's not just uh and i'm not just the only one saying this stuff you know a lot of uh, yeah. people are looking deep into this stuff say the same thing i found out but i've been thinking this way for a long time and i i i i wasn't raised the way i'm thinking right now which is i believe in multiple embodiments because i don't think you can get to where you have to be in one embodiment i think that's called reincarnation for those who don't know what i'm talking about there but i think if you don't respond to everything the way you're supposed to and the way you the way the masters have taught which is with love and compassion if you start killing or hating or something like that you're going to have to respond to it sooner you have to get it right let's put it that way you got to get it right and you're not going to get it right in one lifetime or we wouldn't be here today so Christ got it right. He's he's he got here. He's here. He he is the Son of God incarnated in a man's body. And uh, I don't know. I don't go against anything that I read in the Bible, or the, the red letter edition, when I hear him talk because he's saying everything the right way, as far as I'm concerned. And even 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 a lot of the uh, uh, people in those days want to know if they thought he was Elijah, who they thought he was, which means they believed in reincarnation too. Well, you can't, and that's, you know, Christian religion is pretty, a lot of uh, are pretty restricted on that. They just, just know you're here. One of the man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. Well, yeah, you do die. After that, you judge. The judgment says you didn't learn everything you're supposed to learn. you got to go back and do it again. But your memory won't let you do that. We've got our telomeres been, uh, telomeres just determines how old we're going to get, you know, and we're restricted to 100, 120 years, something like that. And I just wonder sometimes if Bigfoot has not had their telomeres restricted like like we have, and because uh, some of them get a lot bigger, 
uh, than others. And uh, you got the ones the ones in Nepal, the Yeti are five, six feet tall, you know. And there was a DNA out of that uh, and, uh, above Bhutan and uh, 17,000 feet eDNA, which from a trackway they found, a bipedal trackway. Geneticist was up there on the National Geographic expedition. And she come back and said, uh, it's human. <laughs> the mitochondrial is mostly human. And that's the same thing the genetist said this from Texas, which she's taken a beating through academia because she said they were human. Academia wants to say, well, if there's any human component in the DNA, that means it has to be contaminated. And that's where they stuck it, right there. And, uh, well, I think she's, they're going to be vindicated one of these days. And I hope to help vindicate them with what I've established here with this human component. Can I ask you a question? I heard you on another podcast, and um, I don't know if I got this right, but I heard the story of the, the Canadian guy who said he got kidnapped for six days and he was brought to their den and they were talking. Did you speak to him directly? That are guy? You, you think about Albert Osman? I believe so. Yeah. Where yeah he's, he's, they picked uh, him up in his sleeping bag. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's that guy's been dead for a long time. He, that happened in 1924. Oh, but I went, I went up to, I, w I went up into Toby Inlet. Uh, I flew up there in my plane with uh, Peter Byrne and Al Berry and we trying to find the bowl that he said he was kept in. That was in 1996 when we went up there. And uh, we had a helicopter on standby over Camel River, uh, which is on the island over there. And uh, we found the bowl, and I flew real slow all day long. I went down and landed down a creek bed and everything, and it just uh, we never could establish where that bowl was that he said he was held for six days. However, his story was very uh, credible sounding and actually uh, – John Green interviewed him in the 50s, early 50s, and uh, got the story. He said they were chattering amongst themselves while he was there because he was there for six days, like you said. And uh, he gave a lot of insight on what they were like as a family group. So that that was good, but we never could establish that he was really in Toba Inlet from his report, from what he wrote with, for John Green. Uh, I, I got down to thousands feet where he said I could see the ships in the inlet and all that. No, you can't. And uh, we we thought when we were all over with after our research up there, and we was looking for the bowl so we could go see if there's any artifacts like a snuff cans or something like that. And I uh, couldn't couldn't find it. I think it was a different inlet because nothing made sense as far as the the Indian that rode him up to the inlet. A lot of inlets, a lot of ways you can get off in there. And I just wonder if we weren't searching the wrong spot. I don't disregard his, his uh, account at all. I just don't believe he was at the head of Toto Inlet. I think he was one of the other Somewhere places. Else. And we all agreed with that just because we read the story yeah. thoroughly. Yeah, that's that's a wild story. I, I, I love that story. Um, and another thing I liked when I seen you on um, David Polites, you talked about the, the rod. And mm. even that, like, it, I don't know, it, it gave me goosebumps. Should you know, have been there. <laughs> I wish I was. Oh man! So yeah, what it was, was it? I don't know. It just a form of energy. It was, no, it was, but you seen it was so it was a long glowing yeah, just, rod, just, and it... just like he showed in the in the he did a very good uh, take on that. You know, his cameraman did how it floated through the trees, just really just about like that, just maybe fifty feet away from us, and watched it for a long time until it went out of sight. 
you don't know what it's you know what it's going to do. You don't know what it's all about. You don't know. You just don't know. Yeah. I'm up there with a little 38 with a birdshot in it. You know, just to keep just to keep the bird uh, the bear away from our food. And uh, you don't know what to expect. Uh, whereas in a tent, and I was, had an open top to it, you know, with screened in, and that's where I'd seen it. And I, I told my Carrie, my my wife, I said, "Look at this," and uh, she she saw it too, and we both watched it until it went out of sight. But you don't know what it's going to do. You don't. You don't. Nothing surprises me up there. Nothing surprises me anywhere anymore because there's so much going on, and so much going on that we just. You just got to assimilate it somehow, but our brain has a very survival mechanism in it. And if it doesn't understand something, it'll feed, it'll fill in the holes. That's called confabulation. And it'll just uh, fill in what it doesn't know. Like it might, people might see a, there might be a Bigfoot in a dumpster. Well, that's going to be a bear when they see it. Just because Bigfoot can't exist, right? <laughs> they yeah. don't exist. Uh, however, more and more people are coming forward now and talking about the strangeness that goes on in these things, and they're seeing them. The government can't keep it hidden much longer because that's what they had to do with the UFO thing. You know, they had to finally let it out that aliens are here and UFOs are definitely here. And so, they're... did it look intelligent? Like, did it know? Did it look like it know what what it was doing? Did it look oh, like it was, it was scanning? It it was absolutely guided by something and intelligence within it. And, yeah. You know, Bigfoot, uh, even when it, sound, when you can make a sound that reaches its 50th octave, 49th octave, excuse me, it will turn into light. That's interesting. Okay, if they can make a sound that gets into that octave, uh, there could be light. Something's going to be light. And they can change into light. And I've had people tell me they saw one change into light. And of course, it, time you just kind of put it up there and put it over there you know put it somewhere because you can't understand that stuff until it all comes together different people saying the same thing from different places and you got to figure it out and that's where quantum physics comes into play because it's it's the truth of how things work from the atom all the way through the cosmos according to dr christopher brayer west texas a&m everything works under the laws of quantum physics everything does and that's that's fact you can't say, well, it doesn't. It does. And and you just have to understand that things are going on that you don't understand. <laughs> I, I got I got kicked out of the club one I asked a bunch of scientists one time, I said, How far is it to the end of the universe? If everything's in Newtonian physics and everything's based on everything measurable and predictable and physical and uh, material. Uh, how far is it to the end of the universe? Well, who could answer that? Nobody can answer that because yeah. You have to conceive it, right? Well, that should open people's minds up right there because if you can't, you just got to conceive that it, it can't have an end. It could not have an end. What would be the end? There can't be one. So that gets yeah. you into uh, uh, some different thinking there that things are going on that you don't know about. And we're in a three-dimensional embodiment and that's just the way it is. And we're going to go through this experience here and make the most out of it. Go ahead, I'm you. You hear like Buddhist monks who like literally spend, you know, 10 years in a cave or in like a, a hut and they just don't see anybody and they just sit in silence and they say they get these abilities. So you could only imagine if this creature was living in the woods, you know, for all that time in nature and they're in tune, like you said, and they could. I mean, we, we can't even in our brain fathom what possibly, you know, 
powers and talents they have. And it mm-hmm. it's just mind blowing. And I, I so much enjoyed this. I, I want to ask you one more question and then I'll let you yeah. go. The, the predator effect. I love that yeah. too. That, that blew my mind as well. Uh-huh. You, so you, you heard from your own sources that some other people had seen that similar yes, thing, the yes. pixelated thing. Yes, yes, yes. Quite a few. I mean, probably less than a dozen, but yeah, they said that they saw it disappear, and uh, it just and they 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 tell me this in private. Some of them, but I know some of them. You know, there's been a deputy seen that. There's been uh, well, some very people that I know very very well who were totally honest. They just said it just pixelated out, you know, and uh, went into nothing. Well, it went out of our perception, so they go out of our dimension of you know, out of our, out of our frequency. Uh, for anything to be seen in our three-dimensional environment, it has to lower its density down to be perceptible to our senses. And that's just the way it is. So that's why you're not seeing so much of UFOs and aliens in it right now. You're going to see more of them, i got to tell you that. It's going to happen. And the government's now has acknowledged it. They've also inundated us to this with cartoons for the kids and everything else. You know, just yeah. it's there. And they're here on this planet now, but they're they're in they're out of our perception. And they're not supposed to interfere because we have a karma. We have something that we're supposed to go through in this embodiment. And that is we're supposed to learn how to respond with love and compassion. We're supposed to learn, learn not to be a victim, but to be learning from something and be happy about stuff because we're here. And it, it's a sought after, you know, we're, we're here because we're very special. And I like to get that all across to everybody, how special we are as humans and not to consider yourself a victim ever. And no matter what you're going through, learn from it and learn or be <clears throat> get in a well there's just so much more to talk about i've been on these programs yeah. for hours before no mm-hmm. i know and ron i really appreciate your time um people <laughs> go get the old books his new books coming out um where where are the books so that people can go buy them ron moorhead.com one o m o r e h e d dot com i have a uh, uh products page on there where you can buy my books they're all downloadable this one won't be out until march 15th March but, uh, 15th, and it's got uh interesting chapters in it i mean i've been working on it a couple of years finally put it together in a book and this other one the quantum bigfoot which is oh on the desk behind me in the back yeah that's i've been getting a lot of those are popular because it gets into the spirituality gets into what uh well like einstein said what one man calls god no religion without <laughs> science without religion is lame religion without science is blind now that's pretty good coming from einstein right yeah. and you got the the tesla stuff he's got all kinds of you get into all of it. i mean even uh, i go on for hours about these guys because i quote these guys and these because that's where it comes from these these physicists it's only like 100 years a little over 100 years old quantum physics you know the Nobel prize was given to max Planck in 1918 for quantum mechanics and and uh, most people don't get into it because teachers don't teach it in grade yeah. school they teach but they teach uh, uh newtonian physics 1687 that's how long that's been going on it's not that we don't we got to deal with it because that's what we're in newtonian physics but there's more going on that you got to understand. That's quantum physics, modern. They call it modern science. 
Absolutely. Sure. I, I, I agree with you, Ron. And I really appreciate your time. I know you do a lot of these, and um, I don't want to keep you from your wife for too long. So thank you so much for your time. I truly do appreciate it. I know what it's like to be busy and to sit down <laughs> for an hour. So I really appreciate it, Ron, and I wish you the best. Thank you so much. Well, Cliff, I appreciate you asking me, and really that's what I do now. I sit down for an hour, two, three. I've been on coast to coast for four hours one time that, that, that's a little too much <laughs> a little too much because they do it live in the middle of the night you know <laughs> yeah not i'm not a night owl <laughs> but uh i appreciate it i i do and i hope that people do their own research if you don't take my word for anything just start researching it and look into stuff and you'll find out what's really going on and uh how things are controlled by the powers to be at least the narratives are and if it wasn't for us, like you, people like you, Chris, uh, having these programs like this, uh, the word maybe not ever get out. And I think it's important that the word does get out and get people looking at that stuff themselves. Because some people, until they see one disappear, until they see one of these creatures do something strange, or something strange happens to them when they're in the woods with them, they're not going to believe any of this. You know, they, they're yeah. going to think, oh, it's an ape out there in the woods running around. We've got to identify that sucker. Well, some of them might be just a relic hominid from through the ages that have crossbred with indigenous people, da, 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 da. Again, the different types of aliens have been here. They're here now. There's a hybridization program going on. A lot of hybrids out there. And uh, Bigfoot's one of them. So are we, really. But we've only been here a few thousand years. Absolutely. And that's why I started this, because I, I think, you know, some people might believe what's Bigfoot got to do with the picture. But I think everything, the, everything is a little piece of the puzzle exactly. and there's certain rights and wrongs. And yeah. we're all just trying to figure it out through our own experience. So I really appreciate your time. You <laughs> have a huge part to the puzzle. And thank you, Ron. Have, have a great night. Thank you. We'll catch up with you some other time, too. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. There is no distance that cannot be covered over and over. You're not defenseless. I'll be your shelter. I'll be your armor. I hear you whisper underneath your